Coming up on the Hockey News pregame show, it's showtime in Detroit. Can Patrick Kane lift the Red Wings into a playoff spot? I've got an exclusive interview with St. Louis Blues GM Doug Armstrong on the team's future. And joining us from New Jersey, we've got site editor Christy Flannery on the Devils at the deadline and whether or not Lindy Ruff's future is in peril. I'm Ryan Kennedy. I'm Michael Trikos, and this is the Hockey News pregame show brought to you by Upper Deck. What's up, hockey fans? Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show. I'm Michael Trakos. With me, as always, is Ryan Kennedy. And, Ryan, it's been a fun year in the NHL this year. You've got Austin Matthews chasing down 70 goals. You've got Connor McDavid on pace for 100 assists. And you've got Patrick Kane in Detroit, looking like the Patrick Kane of yesteryear, mm-hmm. um, circa Chicago Blackhawks when he was winning cup after cup after cup. It's showtime in Detroit, isn't it? It is, and I mean, how great a moment was that the other night where he scores against Chicago, and then he literally says showtime to the crowd. Just, I mean, that's that's what you want. That's fun. I think everybody appreciated is that. Is that a foul shouting out your own nickname? No, I think it was, I think based on the fact that it was against Chicago, uh, and there you know, so many good memories with that team, he's mm-hmm. with his new squad, to me that was like perfect. Yeah. You know, I, I feel that's, what we need more of in hockey is guys having fun and everybody kind of being on the same side. If you know, like, you know, Hawks fans aren't going to be mad about that. No, it's like, I, ah, it's Patty Kane. And he does it in such a playful way. Like, I go yeah. back to Austin Matthews played against the Blackhawks early in Matthews' career, and he did the kind of, um, I guess, that, is that a Matthews thing now where he puts his, he cups his hand to his ear? Right. And he's kind of like, all right, uh, silence the fans, or, yeah. Yeah, or let me hear it. Yeah. And then, uh, the next goal was Patrick Kane doing that, and then he cupped his hand to his ear. Right. So you got to love the showmanship from Patty Kane. Yeah, he gets it. Um, we talked about Patrick Kane and the effect he was going to have on the Red Wings right before he played his first game in Detroit. And, you know, I think we were probably lukewarm on what a guy who's coming off of some serious hip uh, surgery mm-hmm. was going to be able to do. But I'm looking at the stats right now 12 goals. 28 points in just 27 games, and he's got the Red Wings right in the mix for a playoff spot. Yeah, surprised? I am. I and honestly, like I, you know, we were trying to remember before the show. I'm sure we did like an over under. Mm-hmm. It was probably about 40 points or so. And I know I took the under. I think I said it was like 35 points. I took the over just to be like argumentative. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but. For me, I thought, you know, at the time, it was like, okay, well, this is nice. You know, it's a way of GM Steve Eiserman to say to the Red Wings, like, look, I believe in you guys. Mm-hmm. You're playing well early on. We really want a playoff spot this year. We want to take things to the next level. So it's like, here's a treat. Here's Patrick Kane. You know, he'll, he'll bring, you know, some star uh, power to the dressing room. He'll bring that great experience. If he can chip in on offense, hey, that's great. Because remember, I mean, you know, the playoffs last year with the Rangers, he was not a difference maker, no. right? I mean, they lost to the Devils in the first round, so you know the mission was not accomplished there. But if he had played this whole season, he would be their leading scorer. That's crazy, right? To think. Like it would be like him and then like Dylan Larkin close behind. But Kane is hot at the exact right time. I think he has eight points in his past five games. The Red Wings have won, I think, seven of ten. 
and you know they're putting a little bit of distance between them and the rest of the wild card picture, you know, because they're ahead of Tampa and they have games in hand on Tampa. So at this point of the year, you know, heading into the trade deadline, that's exactly where you want to be. And yeah, I mean, he, Patrick Kane has rediscovered the magic. Clearly, the surgery uh, worked. Yeah, I, honestly, I want Detroit in the playoffs, and it's been. I was looking it up seven long years where they haven't been in and you were saying like uh, I was asking how long was the streak before that and I was like it's somewhere around 20 and you said it was basically when Nick Lidstrom left the team that's when it stopped being a yeah. playoff team so yeah. you know they're in, they're in a new rink um, and I feel like we still haven't had that the rink hasn't been christened yet yes exactly because they haven't been in the playoffs so I, I'm pulling for them to be in the playoffs just because I'd love to see that arena full. Um, I cover the Red Wings in their previous arena, mm-hmm. and that's a great hockey market. Yeah. So if you're Steve Eiserman, you've got Patty Kane, you know, playing the way he is. Obviously, Larkin's been um, their leader for all season. Alex DeBrincat's been on fire all year as well. Does this kind of force you to maybe go maybe even more all in? I would, and I think we're going to talk about this later in the show, but I would like to see them pick up another center. Mm -hmm. I would like to see uh, somebody behind Dylan Larkin that has a little more firepower. I I think that could take them to the next level. And, And, you know, maybe a little more depth elsewhere, but based on where they are right now, I think another vote of confidence would be great for this unit to say, you guys are doing great. Let's give you somebody else to play with that you know can maybe make sure that we don't have any gold droughts at the worst possible time. Yeah, because they're almost kind of I, I want to say like they're the devils from last year, but you know they got a nice mix of young and old there. Yeah, they do. So yeah. uh, I really like them. All right, let's shift gears. Um, we're talking about Patty Kane and scoring. Let's talk about Matt Rempe and fighting. Yeah, twenty-one-year-old uh, Matt Rempe, who we talked about on the last episode. Um, you know, in his first shift with the New York Rangers, drops the glove in the outdoor game against Matt Martin. And since then, he's just been, you know, big game hunting. Right. Um, fights uh, Nick Delorier of the Philadelphia Flyers. And was it literally the next night against Columbus? Fights Matthew Olivier um, in a fight that didn't go uh, Rempe's way. Right. Um, they play the Blue Jackets again on Wednesday. Rematch? You know, I, I kind of feel that it, it's going to be interesting to see. Like, that's going to be must-see TV because if you're Rempe, you might say, like, well, I got I to gotta get back on the horse. Gotta I got to show. Back. You got to get the belt. Well, yeah, I don't know if he ever had the belt in the first place. <laughs> but uh, my understanding was that, you know, uh, Rempe challenged Matthew Olivier. Like, and Olivier was um, kind of like, are you sure? I know you just fought Delorier. And he was like, no, no, let's do it. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, do the Rangers want Rempe to keep fighting, or do they say to him, maybe take a night off? Like, we'd like to see what you could do with, you know, 10, 11 minutes of ice time, uh, more than 10 seconds in the first period, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. He's averaging four, something like four minutes a game, so he's in the penalty box more than he is on the ice these days. Yeah, so, you know, you look at what he can do just because of that frame, and, you know, that's been a great story out of New York since he came up, is him and Adam Edstrom, you know, on that line, sort of an energy line, because Edstrom's like six foot seven as well. So it's like, you can cause chaos, you don't have to drop the gloves with the other team's tough guy. Like, if something happens, I mean, he also fought 
Jonas Siegenthaler after he ran over Nathan Bastian. That's right. Uh, I'm sure Siegenthaler wasn't jazzed no one's about even, that. No one's even talking about that hit anymore. It's true. So much has happened since, right? Yeah. Um, but I wonder if, if the Rangers say, like, hey, we know you can fight. That's awesome. We know the fans love you. But just give us some shifts. Just get some reps in because come playoff time, we know that hockey gets harder. Mm-hmm. It gets more physical. It's those big guys, the, that heavy hockey that tends to win out. And I'm not saying Matt Rempe is going to turn into a 30-goal scorer, but if he can give them shifts where he's wearing down the opponents or just making people force passes before they want to because they don't want to get hit by him, that's a net positive for the Rangers. But Rempe's got to get those reps in. He's got to learn how to play 10, 11 minutes a game and, and be that force where it's not just, let's have a tilly. Yeah, and he does have a goal and two points in five games. Um, a game to kind of look out for. Uh, next Saturday, the Rangers play the Leafs. Mm. And we're talking about the belt in jest earlier, but right. if he really wants to get the belt, it's, you know, does he challenge Ryan Reeves? And, you know, it, it's weird that we're even having the, this discussion because I don't know how many times I've written about the demise of fighting uh-huh. and how, you know, those kind of players were kind of going extinct. And yet, here we are. Um, I was looking at hockeyfights.com. I think fighting right now, they're on pace for basically the same amount of fights they had last year, and it was roughly the same as they had the year before. Mm. There's no decline. It's just kind of staying steady. And fine, maybe stage fights are going out of the way, mm. although Rempe's fights this he's year... Bringing have, back. He's bringing them back. He's bringing them back. Is this good for the game, Ryan? Is this kind of you know, worrisome that we've got a guy who's, what, six foot eight, maybe seven foot one on skates, just going around, just stage fights all over the place? Well, I think he's starting to learn that you don't have to challenge every heavyweight because it doesn't always go well for Has you. Has he learned that, though? Well, let's give him time. <laughs> okay. I, I think after that Olivier fight, he might be like, yeah, maybe I'll cool my jets a bit. But I can almost guarantee Ryan Reeves will fight him because Ryan Reeves, like you said, he got the heavyweight belt. And, you know, Ryan Reeves, uh, he knows what he can bring, and I think he loves that aspect of the game. So I can almost guarantee that's going to happen. And you know what? I've, for me, I like fighting. I don't try to intellectually justify it. It's just fun in my mind. Yeah, I'm not the one getting punched. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? We're talking about it. A lot of other people are talking about it. So, you know, in, in small doses, I feel it's you know, still part of the game and it still gets headlines. And now I have an exclusive interview with St. Louis Blues GM Doug Armstrong when he was in town recently talking about Future Watch. So check it out. I'm here with St. Louis Blues GM Doug Armstrong. The Blues, our cover story on the 2024 edition of Future Watch. Uh, Doug, first of all, thanks for doing this. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Excellent. So let's talk about Future Watch because, you know, St. Louis, you're in an interesting spot where, you know, still a competitive team, but you've managed to uh, bring on some some pretty nice players for your pipeline. And uh, I, I guess we'll start with the World Juniors. This was a very successful tournament this year for St. Louis prospects, whether it's Jimmy Snuggerud, Otto Stenberg, uh, Theo Lindstein had a great tournament, Dalibor Dvorsky was there for Slovakia. What was your sort of assessment of, of that tournament from a, from a Blues perspective? Well, it was obviously a great tournament. I think we led the, the, the 
tournament in goals and assists and obviously total points for one organization for prospects. We had seven guys there, which was an, the most in Blues history and uh, five from last year's draft. So it was a really exciting time. And being a 19-year-old tournament, I was impressed at how the 18-year-old players played. Uh, Lindstein being the one player, didn't make the team originally. Uh, there was an injury. He got added, then in the first game, someone got a five minute boarding penalty, got kicked out of that one and in the next one. So then all of a sudden his ice time increases and he, and he goes on to make the all tournament team. So those are great, great things to see. And uh, we were just overall excited about those kids. And uh, unless they're in the NHL, we could have those five back and maybe a couple more from last year's draft. And we have a first, two seconds and two thirds this year. So maybe we can add to that pipeline next year in Ottawa. There you go. And you know, Lindstein was one of three first rounders you had in 2023. I, I'm always curious when teams have multiple picks like that, does it change your strategy at all? Do you say like, okay, well we got forwards with the first two, let's get a D-man. Do you go straight off the list? How does something like that unfold? Uh, you go basically straight off the list. Uh, you know, organizationally we we have a, a lot of forwards now, probably a defenseman, but you, you're not going to take a lesser player to take a positional player because the reality is when these players get into the league in three to five years, your whole dynamic is going to change. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you can always uh, rearrange assets. And really what we're doing now, we're in the asset allocation portion. Uh, when I got to St. Louis, John Davidson and Larry Plow had done a great job of acquiring a number of young players. And then you take those and you, and you build a team. We moved Eric Johnson along. Uh, we moved Runeblad along to get Tarasenko. So, you know, you have to have those, those, those good picks. And uh, the guys did a great job for Larry and John. And then we're able to move some of those to, to be a competitive team. And so we're, we're drafting players now to get the best possible players. Hopefully they all play for the Blues. But more, most importantly, we need them to be good assets for themselves and for us. Right on. And uh, something that I've observed over the years now uh, during your tenure, I always feel like that 20 to 30 range is really tricky in the draft, but you guys have done very well, not only there, but even a bit further on too. Where, and you look at some of the, the sort of staple players on St. Louis right now, Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, and then you look at prospects like Lindstein, like Jimmy Snuggerud, uh, like Stenberg, they were all in that 20 and higher range. Um, why do you think you've been able to have success where you know teams sometimes can struggle where it's like you're no longer dealing with the sure thing top 10 players. Yeah, I give obviously all our credit to our to our amateur scouting staff. You know, uh, it's a good thing. We've had a lot of practice uh, picking in that area. It means you're having a good NHL season. Uh, but I think they just do their homework. They do a lot of background checking. Uh, uh, we all believe that we have a different way to look at things. And uh, I'm not sure if we do, but, uh, but we think we do. And I think our, our guys have done a great job of, of honing in on things that are necessary to be NHL players. I think in your first round, you'd always love to get a, six, uh, a top six forward or top four D. But as you're moving uh, down in the draft, it might be harder to do. So what you want to make sure you're doing is getting an NHL player and then, and then work from there. Right on. And... Another thing I'm always curious about is, you know, goaltenders in the draft. Obviously, they, they tend not to go in the first round. You, you might see one a year, if that, but how often do you think you should draft a goalie? Because, you know, you talk about timelines, a good goal you might not even see until they're 23, 24 in the NHL. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a debatable uh, question that we debate all the time on how many to take and when to take them. Uh, I think the 
you know, if you take the North American goalies, the, uh, the, the uh, CHL goalies, they have to turn pro very quickly. Mm. You know, the Europeans, they can park over in Europe for a little while. Uh, so the hard thing is if you take too many uh, CHL goalies, then, then you have to sign them and then you have to find them places to play. Mm. And then you go on the history of how many, how many goaltenders play for the team that draft them. You know, there, so there, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, you know, we, I, I think if you had an ability to place goaltenders easier, you'd probably draft more, quite honestly, because it is a, it is a hard position to, to get a grasp on before 24, 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, we, we try and do a lot of homework on that. I think our guys took Hofer in the fourth round, which it turns out to be a very good pick. He's one of those young players that's playing for us now. And uh, Bennington obviously came in and has done a good job. So. Uh, you see Vasilevsky and you see Carey Price. You see guys that do okay at the top end of yeah. the draft too, uh, but uh, it, it is it, it does take a little more uh, uh, stomach to when you don't have a lot of extra picks to take one in the first round because, as I said, that's how your organization is built and and. The goaltender position isn't like a, a, a skater, mm-hmm. where if you if you don't hit the top six or the top four, well, you could be a good seven forward or a good uh, you know f- a five six defenseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not a, a good goalie, you're usually not a goalie in the NHL, there and you so go. you it, it's uh, you it takes a little more. Uh, as I said, guts to draft that if you don't have a lot of picks. There you go. No one's looking for a number four goaltender. No. <laughs> yeah, um, and. When it comes to St. Louis and drafting, is there? A, I, I know with some franchises there will be particular traits where they'll say he has to be able to skate or he's got to have hockey sense. Is there any uh, box that you pretty much always want to check when you're taking a player? I, I would say hockey sense. Uh, you know, there was um, someone said this to me about great skaters. It's it's no good if he's the fastest guy to the wrong spot. <laughs> and, and so that's always stuck with me. So I think skating is a huge part of the game. But I think if, if you have hockey sense, you can overcome a lot of other things. Uh, and, and so that's something our guys work on. Uh, we, we do want to become a good skating team. We think we're getting closer to being a good skating team. Uh, but without hockey sense, I don't think it's relevant. So that's one thing that our guys really pay particular attention to. Excellent. And uh, one of your, your young players in the NHL right now, uh, Jake Neighbors, um, who's still eligible for future watch for, our, you know, yeah, 21 and, uh, 21 and under, uh, or 23 and under. Um, you know, here's a player that uh, it feels like the development path was done really well for him, and, and he's becoming more of an integral part of the Blues. What have you seen from Jake Neighbors so far? Uh, I think patience. I think uh, the organization, uh, uh, you know, allowed him to play in the American Hockey League, allowed him to, to grow at a certain rate. Uh, he's got there quicker. If you look at uh, players when they play their 100th game, he's gotten there probably about a year and a half earlier than players drafted in his area. So he's done his part. Uh, one of the things that we try not to do is is fail the players. Mm. Uh, you hear a lot about uh, players failing teams, but Les Jackson, who I, who's one of the all-time great scouts, would say, you know, players do fail teams, but teams fail, fail players also by not putting them in the right position to succeed, not mm-hmm. giving them the foundation. And that's, again, something else that's always stuck with me is less is uh, uh, understanding on patient has, patience has to be part of the equation when you're developing players. It's not we drafted them high, so we put them in the NHL. Look, we're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. It's we want sustainability when we get there, and as I'm sure all organizations do. Excellent. And uh, I just want to figure up, or sorry, finish up. Um, you are now the longest tenured NHL GM. You know, David Poyle obviously retired in the off season. 
just reflecting back on your time, you've obviously been a champion, uh, done very well internationally with Canada. Uh, what are some of your reflections on just what it takes to, to do this job at a high level for so long? Well, I've, I've been fortunate to be part of two great organizations in Dallas and in St. Louis, uh, and I got to both organizations right at the right time. They had good young players that were ready to take off, uh, and it goes to it goes to ultimately it's the players. The players dictate whether you're a good coach or a good manager. And uh, but I've been fortunate to work with great coaches, great scouts, and then more importantly, great players. And um, you know that that's the key to it is having good players, and that's why this. Being talking about our future prospects today is, is exciting because that is that is tomorrow. Indeed. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Doug. Really appreciate the time. Thank you for having me on. We're pleased to be joined by New Jersey Devils site editor Christy Flannery and Christy. This New Jersey Devils team, I thought last year was a bit of a roller coaster season. This year, I don't know what's another analogy it's a for tilt a world. It's a tilt a world, exactly. <laughs> How are you viewing this season for the Devils and? You know, what we thought was going to be a guaranteed playoff spot is looking very much in doubt right now. Yeah, it was a season that began in mediocrity and is just quickly turning into a disappointment. Uh, injuries have definitely been a factor. You can't kind of take that away. It was a reality of their season. But as a whole, they really haven't seemed to be on the same page this season. And now they're kind of in a race for their life. Mm. Now, goaltending has obviously been at the fore there. Uh, it, it does kind of feel like maybe a move should have or could have been made in the summer, but you know, they started off with Vitek Vanacek. They've, they've had a couple of different guys come in, some of the young guys. Obviously, Akira Schmid has been up and down. What have you seen from the goaltending situation overall? It's just, it's been like the whole team. There's been a real lack of consistency. And I think when I look at the goaltending, it's that the goaltending wasn't strong enough to mask the errors and the mistakes on defense. And the defense hasn't been strong enough to help out their goaltenders. Um, and for me, that's really been the theme of the season. The goaltending just has not been there. Um, and it's really unfortunate, but they definitely do need a goaltender at some point in time. Yeah, they probably should have had Connor Hellebuck, shouldn't they have? <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that, that really was the wrench in their plans. And, you know, unfortunately, it's either gonna, they're either going to get a goaltender mm. or they're going to move on from Lindy Ruff. And I think one of those things is probably going to happen by the trade deadline or shortly thereafter. What, what are your feelings on the whole Lindy Ruff situation? I, I, I saw a video the other day, and some folks are already chanting, fire, Lindy. Uh, are, are we really getting to that point again? And didn't no one learned anything from last year. Right. You're just going to have to say sorry. That's right. We're, uh, the fan base is definitely at that point again. They have reached the end of kind of their patience with Lindy Ruff. From my standpoint, when a team is underperforming the way that the Devils have this season, you can't blame just one person. You know, it's up to the general manager to provide his coaching staff with a competitive roster. There's the argument to be made that, you know, not getting the goaltender really put the coaching staff at a disadvantage. There's a point that, you know, the Devils have allowed the first goal of the game 72% of the time this season. And that kind of comes to the team being prepared when puck is dropped, whether it's making mental errors or just not physically ready to go. And getting the team prepared, that falls on the coach. But it also, call, you know, the players need to play as well. So I think for the Devils, you know, the coaching, it, you know, coaches are hired to be fired. We all know this. But I don't think Lindy Ruff is the only person to blame for where the Devils are right now in the standings. Yeah, fair enough. I'm, I'm kind of of the same mind where, and again, it comes back to the goaltending and 
as you mentioned, the injuries really put a damper on the season, particularly early on. But let's kind of shift gears to uh, the trade le- deadline for a sec and the potential of adding a goaltender. Obviously, as you mentioned, Connor Hellbuck's not going anywhere. No. Uh, but Jacob Markstrom might be on the table uh, from the Calgary Flames. Do you see a fit there, or are there are there other goaltenders that might be on the Devils' radar that could potentially, you know, kind of like right the ship and, and, and nab them that last wildcard spot? So there have been reports that Fitzgerald has checked in on Markstrom, Soros in Nashville, Gibson in Anaheim, and the price for a goaltender is exceptionally high right now. And it seems to be, as you know, Elliot Friedman's reported, that Alexander Holtz is a player that the organization is willing to part with. It seems that a lot of teams want Dawson Mercer, which Fitzgerald you know, reportedly is not willing to, is a player that Cheryl's not willing to part with. Um, but I definitely think that Markstrom would make sense. I think Markstrom and Hannafin together actually would make sense, but you have to give up to get. And I think that's kind of part of the problem and the price is just extremely high. And if this season is going to be a wash and I mean, realistically, could they still sneak in? They absolutely could. Do you really want to give up that much for, right now or do you want to wait until the summer where maybe prices go down a little bit on these goaltenders and that is the issue with new jersey is like they've got a a lot of young pieces whether it's luke hughes uh, simon nemich Mm -hmm. but they're young even jack hughes isn't that old jack hughes isn't that old um these guys are young and especially for a team that doesn't have solid goaltending right now um when you've got a young inexperienced defense it's, it's just like it's a recipe for disaster. Mm. Um, how have you liked Nemich's play this year? And, um, and you know, let's add in uh, Luke Hughes in that mix too. So I guess my hot take is that I, when Nemitz first came up, I feel that he is a more well-rounded 200-foot defenseman. So as far as overall, I actually would personally give him the edge over Luke. I think that Luke has, ex- he's extremely talented offensively. Um, we've seen that his goal, you know, coast to coast against the Columbus Blue Jackets a few months ago. Um, but again, rookie defensemen make rookie mistakes. And everyone knows that. In addition to them, they have Kevin Ball on the blue line that's only 23 years old, who hasn't really played more than 30, 40 games a season. So when you look at all three of the Devils' defensive pairs, they are, every veteran is dealing with a rookie. And I've talked to a lot of defensemen about this, and they all say that it's challenging for the rookies who are just kind of getting their feet wet, but it's also challenging for the veteran defensemen who are playing with these young rookies and have to kind of get used to playing with them and expecting that they're going to be making the rookie mistakes that were that are expected. Um, so they're doing well. I would agree with Lindy that he when he says that they're both doing better than expected, but they're just they're developing, and you kind of see those mistakes where you're like. They're young. That's why they, you know, made the decision that they made. Mm, yeah, and to be fair, I mean, if Dougie Hamilton didn't get hurt early in the season, we might not have even seen Nemich this year. It felt like they had a, a, a sort of a longer-term prospect development plan for him. Yeah, and at the be- over the summer, uh, Lindy Ruff did an interview with NHL.com, and they kind of talked about you know having two young rookie blue liners. And Lindy said that he really, that's not something that he kind of wanted. Um, and now I think fans are seeing why Lindy didn't want that. Because again, the defense has significantly struggled this season and the goaltending hasn't been able to bail them out and cover up those mistakes. All right, well, I don't think any team is eyeing the March 
eighth deadline uh, quite as much as the New Jersey Devils. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow, follow Christie's work at uh, thehockeynews.com uh, for all the latest developments. And thank you, Christy, for joining the Hockey News pregame show. Coming up after the break, we've got more news. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Hockey News pregame show, sponsored by Upper Deck, and we have some goodies, courtesy of Upper Deck, Series 2, dropping March 6th, so look at that, for uh, look for those at hobby stores, but right now we got a couple of uh, different products here, we got the OPG 23-24 and a special clear-cut one premium card we're going to open up. Uh, we got Jared Ostroff here, uh, resident card expert, as well as all things digital marketing and social media. So, Jared, thanks for being here. You can explain things to us old guys uh, because we are very much back in the day folk. Uh, I would say let's just, let's just tear open some of these OBG to start with. Yeah. And, Jared, maybe you can just talk about, you know, what people should be looking for when they're collecting these. Yeah, so I guess the thing I would say is if you're new to the industry, you're new to the hobby, you're looking to break in, there's kind of two avenues you can go down. You've got your OPGs, your Series 1, your Series 2. That's what I like to call pack ripping. You get the fun of opening the packs, being delicate with your cards, you're rifling through, you're looking for your favorite teams, your favorite players, checking the backs to make sure you're collecting each one in the set, and it's, it's fun. Cards are bright, they're beautiful. Uh, and then what we're gonna turn next to is something like clear cut, which I like to call uh, chasing the hit. And that's because you're basically looking at one good card, maybe a couple extra base cards, but you're looking for that one valuable card, maybe it's autographed, maybe it has a little piece of jersey, a piece of stick. Today, clear cut, it's only autographs, and we're looking for that Connor Bedard autograph that'd be worth a lot of money on eBay right now. And I, I didn't get Connor Bedard. I got a Kent Johnson. Yeah. And I don't know if that's uh Yeah, well, speaking of the Blackhawks, I got a marquee rookie card, Wyatt Kaiser. Uh, so not Bedard, but... You know, know what's cool? Like, I, I, this probably isn't worth a whole lot, Jared, but it's a playing card. Yeah. Look at that. Right isn't that neat? Uh, Roman Yossi. Well, that's what like I love about something like Opeachy. You get some bright, some colorful. I got, I got a bright one, too. <laughs> I got a I bright one. I guess everybody, everybody gets a rainbow card. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was really special until you guys threw <laughs> yeah, really. those, too. But that's what's great about this kind of product, uh, and I think it's the best place for, like, a beginner to start with. You're going to have some fun along the way. And when you open a card like that one that you just did and you don't get the Connor Bedard rookie, you know what, you still got, what, what do we have, 12 more packs to open, yeah, yeah. so I'm still gonna have fun, I'm still gonna chase that Connor Bedard. So you, you, the, the feeling of missing a hit uh, is not as bad when you're going through a peachy. Clear cut, we're gonna have to wait and see. I still think we have a good chance of pulling a Bedard, and if we do, I might take it and run, so. Right. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, just talking about favorite players, like, I got a Kale McCarr. I'm sure that's going to be a popular one amongst, uh, you know. So this one says Premier, and it's an Andrei Sveshnikov. Um, I don't know. Is that just... Well, you always, anytime you think you got a special card, you definitely want to flip it over to the back, check to see if it's serial numbered. I know in Opeach you get about three serial numbered cards. And that's, mm. that's when you start talking about the more and more popular cards. I mean, we just saw a batch of Wayne Gretzky unopened cards 
and packs sell for $3.7 million, right. which I probably should have mentioned before we opened up this OPG. <laughs> That's okay. So far, we're about a That's third right. of the way through. We have no Bedards yet. All right, so Jared, uh, I got another marquee rookie card, but um, this one is silver. This is a Brock Faber who, wow, you know, definitely going to be in the Calder conversation. Maybe at this point with Bedard coming back, I think it's fair to say if he continues on that run, it's going to be Bedard. But Brock Faber... I mean, for my money, he's number two with a bullet right now. So easily, we got the you know the the Wyatt Kaiser marquee rookie, but this one's silver trimmed. I'm going to assume that's yeah. better. Well, it's kind of a call to their more premium product of PG Platinum, where you're going to see all the base cards in that kind of shiny metallic style. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of my absolute personal favorites because, like I said, when you're going through the pack ripping option. Uh, mice will have fun with it. So yeah. imagine a blend between your color cards here and your metallic cards. Uh, tons of serial numbered cards. You'll get an autograph as well. So if you were to combine Opeachy and Clear Cut into one awesome product, you get Opeachy Platinum. So mm. we'll have to open a couple of those packs on a future episode. There you go. And then the other thing I'd say is if you really want to if you're looking to get into the hobby because you think you know hockey, you think you can make a lot of money on this because you know which prospects to look for, uh, I think that's, that's the best way to do it. You grab a copy of Future Watch, which we have right over my shoulder here, um, and take a look at the top 100 prospects. So when you're hitting your next card show and you're going through the booths and you're looking for which cards you might want to collect, you'll say, hey, wait a minute. I know Ryan talked about Brock Faber. I know he's going to be huge. They're selling for $5 a card. So that's where you try to get your money's worth. So um, kind of knowing the sport, knowing the future of the sport, and knowing the product all go hand in hand. So it, it's a really fun hobby for hockey enthusiasts. Right and I got another marquee rookie, Ridley Gregg. So this will be a very popular card in Ontario, <laughs> in certain parts of Ontario. Certain parts. Yeah. Although I, w I was sort of joking to myself that like if the Leafs win the cup this year, do they put Ridley Gregg's name on the ring for inspiring them, inspiring them to play to play incredible undefeated hockey for uh, the duration of Morgan Riley's suspension and beyond. Love that. Yeah, why not, right? So some of the things to look for, especially Ooh, Leo Carlson, marquee rookie. Oh, nice. That's a good one. So when it comes to serial number cards, let's say your card's one out of a hundred or twenty-nine out of a hundred, you always want to take a look at the jersey number. Okay. So. Um, let's say, for example, Leon Dreisaitl. Um, a, a 1 out of 99 Leon Dreisaitl card, worth a ton of money. A 29 out of 99 Leon Dreisaitl card, that's your 101. Oh, okay. The jersey number mixed into the serial number. Mm. It adds a whole other layer because, like you can see, all three of us are opening the same product. Mm -hmm. I think the cards you've opened are a lot better than the cards I've opened. <laughs> I ran out of luck on this one, although I did get a Sidney Crosby All-Star. And he's wearing a nice little throwback retro reverse jersey, or reverse retro jersey. So that's See, when I was collecting, I would probably just be happy with, you know, I got a Marchand. Like, I got yeah. a lot of star players. Probably yeah. not worth a lot, but, you know, for, for people who are buying the OPG set, they're probably just like, hey, I got a Crosby, or I got yeah. a name player. Kirill Marchenko. Well, the good news is you head down to a card store or to one of the upper deck uh, collectible events and you're going to run into like-minded people. So you'll see someone with their binder out with the brand new Opeachy and if you're missing card number 79, there's a strong chance you might have one he's missing too. So there's 
trade nights that card stores do. Um, there's so many layers to this, it's crazy. And we haven't even talked about grading. So mm. when you talk about grading, you, you really want to send in your cards that are more valuable. So that's where we're going to pivot over to something like ClearCut. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's finish up with the big, the big dog here, ClearCut. So there is one card inside this box, and, and, and these, are not, these are not cheap boxes, if I'm, if I'm not correct. Well, it's not going to run you as much as uh, the more premium stuff like the Cup or, or Premium or uh, even OPG Platinum, and that's probably your, why you're only getting one card. But what I was saying before is if you can definitely go the pack ripping route, mm -hmm. but if you want that thrill, if you're seeking that thrill, you got to go for something like ClearCut, right. where there's nothing better than the feeling of opening up that box. All right, so let's do it. All right, so you're opening is Connor Bedard in a Sabres jersey. JJ Paterka. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah. Okay, so they've already put it in a nice little case for us, which is nice. 37 of 65 autographed JJ Paterka cards. So that's that's pretty fun. And it's, I mean, now I see why they're called clear cut. Yeah. Because literally it's it's clear. You can get that's into things awesome. like on card autographs versus a sticker autograph, but that's right on the card. That's a nice clean cut. Looks mint condition. I mean, mm -hmm. send that in. Hope for a 10 out of 10. There you go. Excellent. There we go, JJ Paterka. All right, well. Ryan, you know what time it is? It's rapid fire time. All right, our favorite time of the show. Uh, Producer Connor, got some questions for us? I don't know why you continue to lie to your viewers. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> With Slow Jamie, burn. Yeah. With Jamie Drysdale reportedly out week to week, does that change the Flyers' trade deadline plans? This is, it, this is tough timing for the Flyers because Rasmus Ristolainen is out as well. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a deep blue line to begin with. Obviously, they would have a better idea of what week-to-week -week means. So I think if they can make the moves they want, they should still do it, uh, as long as it doesn't completely crater their defense. Because I think it is worth it for the Flyers to make the playoffs this year while still looking at the future. So if a team wants Sean Walker and Nick Sealer as a package, and we've heard that there are some teams interested in there, as long as you know you're getting Drysdale and Ristolainen back relatively soon, even if it's a bit after the trade deadline, then I say full steam ahead. I, I like the plan that Daniel Breyer has, mm -hmm. but you do have to be concerned about those injuries. Yeah, I, I think it does change it. Um, I think at the very least, if you're going to move a Scott Lawton or a Sean Walker, you're probably asking, in addition to a pick, mm -hmm. maybe getting at least a stopgap on defense. Right. Uh, maybe not someone... The equivalent of a uh, Drysdale, but at least something that can just you know a body hold the fort for yeah yeah, yeah for uh, like however more weeks it is. Mm. All right, Elias Pettersson still isn't talking contract with Vancouver. At what point should Canucks fans start getting nervous? All right, I'm gonna be a little sassy here. I'm gonna say, <laughs> don't worry until you're out of the Stanley Cup playoffs because if you win the Stanley Cup, none of this matters. Yeah. I I don't think there's any kind of concern. I, I think if I'm Pedersen, why do I want to leave Vancouver? Like right. You got Quinn Hughes, you got Thatcher Demko, yeah. so you've got a nice young nucleus to build around. And heck, man, they just brought in Lindholm, a, mm. a fellow Swede for you to kind of play with right now. So you, you know the, the organization is going to reward uh, solid play. Would it be easier for him if he had a contract situation all squared away? 100%. But I don't think this is a similar situation to... You know, Johnny Goudreau with the Calgary Flames, right. where you're like, 
Oh, he didn't have a contract, and now you know you, you made your bed, and he's gone. Yeah. I think Pedersen's going to be there. Real quick, uh, when Vancouver beat Boston the other night mm-hmm. in overtime, every member of the Canucks on the ice, because there was a penalty, every member of the Canucks on the ice, including the goaltender, was at the All-Star game. That's pretty wild. Yeah, it's a good team. That's yeah, insane. it's a pretty good team. It's a really good team. Yeah. And, and they're doing things right, like mm-hmm. calling up, uh, oh, jeez, I can't. Is it Archdeep Bands? Archdeep Bands. Like, what a... Like, they're, they're almost like they're pulling all the right moves mm. after doing all the wrong moves with Bruce Brudrill uh, Bruce like right. a year ago. Yeah. Like, they could not have had more of a just a PR nightmare a yeah. year ago. This year, it's like Flipped. win after win after win. Yeah. All right. Quick follow-up. If Patterson does leave Vancouver, what's the best Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're running out of town now? Yeah. We're running out of town here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if he's going to leave, there's two teams. Actually, there's three teams that I was thinking of. Detroit could certainly Ooh. use him, for, take it to the next level. Nashville would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Put him on line with Philip Forsberg. And then what about Washington? Nick Backstrom, you need a, you need a long-term replacement. Yeah. Pedersen feeding Ovi, that's kind of that's fun. I'm going to anger Canuck fans right now. Uh, the Boston Bruins. I was kind of thinking that, too. Right. Yeah. Uh, imagine he doesn't sign, then he goes to Boston. Yeah. Um, he's setting up David Pasternak for the next 10 years. Yeah, it's tempting. Yeah, you better sign on Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a big... Yeah, you better. <laughs> With Arizona having lost 12 straight, which nobody's talking about. It's true. And being 15 points out of a wild card spot, is there anyone you'd be interested in ahead of the deadline if you were a competitive team? Yeah, they got some pretty good ones, actually. Like Matt Dumba, mm-hmm. very reasonable contract, guy that can play on your top pairing. Uh, or on a very good team, you have him on your second pairing, that's a luxury. I would also look at Josh Brown on the back end. Cheap contract, big dude, playoff-style defenseman. And then, of course, Carl Vizmelka in net, if you want a goaltending option. Now, he's, I don't know if Arizona would be willing to part with him because he's played some very good hockey and he is cheap. But, I mean, if I'm asking... Asking. Yeah, losing Clayton Keller hurts them. Uh, I'm going, yeah, goaltender or Dumba, 100%. Um, other than that, there's not too many pieces that I'm that interested in or that Arizona really wants to part with. Exactly, yeah. All right, final question. Mike, you wrote a piece about this yesterday, which I had not seen anybody talk about before that. Connor McDavid is on pace for 100 assists. Does he do it? I don't think he does just because he's super hot right now, but I think he gets close. Yeah, you know, if Zach Hyman continues to be a top five scorer, I think McDavid could definitely do it. Um, yeah, it'd be amazing. Only the fourth player to do it in the NHL history. That's so, wild. listen, uh, Michael Trakos, that's Ryan Kennedy. Um, thanks for watching the Hockey News pregame show. Again, thank you to Upper Deck for sponsoring us. We'll see you next time at the rink.